You are listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. your host and I'm super thrilled to bring you stories, inspiration and strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead a movement to change the world. I am a digital communication and personal branding strategist, business advisor, award-winning author and a speaker. I am on a mission to help professionals, corporate executives, and entrepreneurs to become leading voices in their field by finding what makes them unique with a renewed sense of identity, passion, and vibrancy to grow their business and career. If you are ready to build a meaningful personal brand to create a business or a career you love, I would love to hear from you. Book a strategic call at www.francinebelli.com slash call. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash call. So today we have on the show Hildi Gottlieb. She is a social scientist and asker of powerful questions. She's an author TEDx speaker and serial social entrepreneur. She's also a contributor to Stanford Social Innovation Review and the creator and host of the Making Change podcast series, where she interviews change leaders around the globe. She's also the co-founder at Creating the Future, a living laboratory for bringing out the best in people through the questions we ask in our day-to-day life. So, Hildi, welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Oh, thank you. I am so glad to be here. This is wonderful, Francine. Thank you. Great. Tell us in your own words what you currently do and what your job entails. Oh, man. Uh, Anyone who has ever been a founder of any business or organization knows that what your job entails is everything. (laughs) Um, and so uh, you don't, you do not have time for what my job entails. Uh, right now, I am I am leading uh, this immensely exciting effort called Creating the Future, and Creating the Future really is an experiment to see what happens when we apply frameworks that bring out the best in people and bring out the best in situations. What happens to create systems change? And so the work that we do is a combination of experimenting, and I'm happy to talk more about what that means, but experimenting to see what happens when we apply those frameworks, and then sharing what we learn. Um, and share, this is one way that we share, but we share through education programs, we share through any way. I had somebody ask me uh, several months ago, so what exactly do you do to share what you're learning? And my answer was, anything we can figure out, and if you can figure out another way, please tell us, because we want to share it. So... <laughs> yes, that I, is what we're about. <laughs> yes, so I, I'm interested to break that down a little bit more. Uh, you know, give us a little bit more insight about uh, you know what are the kind of experiments actually that you're doing actually. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. So, so sort of going back in life a little bit because we are 
all just the sum of our parts. Um, I, I had a, a career in government. I had a career in the, in the for-profit corporate world, in, in corporate real estate, um, and really wanted to get back to the roots of making change in the world. And my partner and I, um, I thought of a lot of different things that we could do and started to say, what many people do is I'm going to take my experience and I'll become a consultant. Um, a very, very common path that so many of us have taken. And, and deeply wanted that consulting to be with organizations that are doing something to change the world. We wanted to both, my partner and I both come from that, uh, that era where we grew up in front of the television with the Vietnam War going on and the civil rights movement in the U.S. and, and, and that, that late 60s, early 70s time where that's embedded in our DNA. And so we wanted to make the world a better place. And, and what happened after about five years is we realized that we were supposedly, as consultants go, um, you know, at, at the top of the game, which is you're not having to market, everybody's referring you, you're working all over the world. And yet when we sat down, we weren't seeing change happen. Yeah. And we might see marginal change, a little bit of, you know, we'll increase 10% on this side of town, but we weren't seeing the world change. And really stepped back to ask the question, which I realize now what we started doing was changing the questions we were asking. Um, we see powerful social change happen all the time in the world. We see a South African freedom movement. We see um, a US civil rights movement. We see, we see stuff happening that is powerful and potent. Why is it happening here? And organizations who are trying to create change are struggling and not making it work. Mm -hmm. and, and that led to asking a whole bunch of different questions, um, trying things with our consulting clients. Um, one of the, the I, my, you read in my bio that I'm a serial social entrepreneur. One of the things that we had started was the first diaper bank, uh, like a food bank, providing uh, diapers, nappies to folks who couldn't afford them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were experimenting in lots of ways with our consulting clients, with, with that um, with that new little organization that we formed. And what we found was at the heart of the change, when sweeping social change was happening, um, they were asking completely different questions than what we do in the day-to-day -day of normal nonprofits and social enterprises. Mm -hmm. And when we would break down the framework that we created, we call catalytic thinking. Mm -hmm. um, it really, those questions are about how we think about things um, and it's catalytic because when we change the questions we ask, things just change like that. Mm -hmm. And so the work that we're doing now is at Creating the Future. That was all during our consulting and um, reaching back into my social science degree and, and really doing a lot of, you know, my, my social science work is all sort of as my hobby, um, which I guess is a sick sort of hobby, but um, I love it. Um, I, I read voraciously. Um, and, and sort of reaching back into that, forming a framework that makes it repeatable. Um, we so often see people who are able to accomplish amazing things mm -hmm. and we figure they're just magic. Mm. And what we found again is when they're accomplishing these amazing things, they're asking the same sorts of questions that the social movements were asking. Mm -hmm. And so if we can bottle that and we can share that with the world, then everybody can create that kind of impact. And so that's really what we're about is, is experimenting um, in, in pretty broad settings. We just finished a demonstration project 
um, with the state of Nevada in the United States, um, their Department of Education, mm-hmm. looking to change the culture of the entire education system throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And again, what are the questions that we're asking and what are the systems we're creating rooted in those questions? Um, and that's really the experiment to say, okay, here's what we learned from that so that you and you and you can also apply these questions and see what happens when you do it. And here's what we learned from that. So I hope that explains a little bit more and gives a little bit of background. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. Um, so are there some, how do we know which question we should ask? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let, me, let me share with you that it's, it, is, it is not, it's not as silly a question. Yeah. Um, let me share with you what we found was going on, the questions that were being asked when things did change. Yeah. Versus the questions that culturally mm-hmm. we ask. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've embedded that into um, organizations because organizations are just a reflection of our culture. Go, uh, yeah. um, when, and, and I sort of break them down. I'm, I was smiling when I um, learned about the work that you're doing focusing on meaning, money, and movement. Um, because the, the questions that we found, and we've sort of broken it down into three core questions. Mm-hmm. One is a set of questions about where we're aiming. Mm-hmm. One is a set of questions about um, how we feel about other people. Mm-hmm. And one is a set of questions about resources. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of smiling that where we aim is about our meaning, um, the resources is about the money, and how we feel about other people is really what movements are about. So, so, um, so I feel so pleased that we have met. Um, so let me, let me share what's going on over here that's not so much going on over here. Okay. Um, when we see both individuals and, and movements that are really kicking butt and 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 succeeding they are aiming at what's possible they are reaching for what they do want they they have a clear vision of what that looks like and they're aiming high um i i frequently quote um martin luther king saying i have a dream mm-hmm. he didn't say we have a problem he said uh-huh. i have a dream yeah um when you look at what most of us are doing in social change organizations, we're actually reacting to what's wrong. We're looking at the problem. And the question we are frequently asked is, what's the problem that you're trying to solve and how are you going to solve it? That's not what's happening over here. What's happening over here is the question, what is the future you're trying to create and what will it take to create that? And so that's the first one is, is are we reacting or are we creating? Um, all of these, I'll, I'll say as an aside, and I'm happy to talk about more, mm-hmm. um, are, are rooted in brain science. So it's interesting when you look at why does it work over here, it's because this is how our brains are, are formed. Um, the second set of questions is all around how we feel about each other. Mm-hmm. And um, successful social movements um, and successful people build on what we have together, what we are together, who we can be together, the strengths that we are together. Um, And yet when we look at what organizations are doing, they are taught Mm -hmm. to compete with each other and not trust each other. Mm -hmm. And and so you cannot, you know, and and then I I love foundations and government um, offices that that fund uh, social change efforts. They're always griping about, 
all these organizations are out there and they're just competing with each other. Well, you're making them compete. Mm-hmm. So, so we have folks over here who are, are mistrusting each other because you can't simultaneously trust and compete with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet successful people and successful change happens when we build on, on who we are together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many of the big movements that we see, I mean, uh, the, the three that I love to quote are the Indian independence movement, the South African freedom movement, and the civil rights movement in the U.S. Mm-hmm. If you look at those three movements, those are built on the strengths of people who had systematically had their strength taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And yet they built on what they were together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the third, the third set of questions flows directly from that. Mm-hmm. And that sort of questions is how we feel about resources. Mm-hmm. When successful social change is happening, and when people are successful, they see resources. We talk about it um, at Creating the Future. We talk about it as collective enoughness, which is that together we have everything we need. That's true, yeah. Abundance and mindset rather than scarcity, right? Rather than scarcity. And so you look again at successful movements and successful individuals. They're building on what they have. They're seeing the assets they have and leveraging those building on what we have together and yet because we are forced to compete in organizations and and in businesses to some extent um we're competing with each other the other difference is when you look at what we can share it's not money Mm. we're identifying resources as the real things we need Um, and in the nonprofit and and business worlds we're identifying resources as money Mm. And we're seeing the path to what we need as well. We just need more money and successful people and successful movements aim first at the thing they really need. And if we can partner with each other on that, that would be awesome. Um, and yeah, we'll need some money, but let's think about that later. Let's first find ways that we can build on what we have together. So those really are the three questions at the core. And it is um, catalytic thinking is really a series of questions that come off of that. But really, the, the three big ones are where we aim, which is what do we really want? Not what do we not want, yeah. <laughs> but what do we really want? Mm. Um, the second set of questions is what can we accomplish together? Mm-hmm. And, and a whole slew of questions that come from that. And then the third question is what do we have together? Mm. Yeah. And, and what we find is those three core questions bring out the best in people rather than bringing out the yeah that is brilliant model actually i totally love that actually so um tell me um how you know you decided of course to become social scientist you know but you know was it something that um you had in your background uh, when you grew up so you know what led you to want to become a social scientist i i don't think you know it's it's so interesting um a, I don't think I ever decided to become a social scientist. I think I looked back and realized that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one, of, one of our community members once asked um, a colleague, um, we were having a conversation, we were in a meeting, and they said, so where is the lit review, the literature review for the, the research behind uh, catalytic thinking? And Elizabeth just laughed and she said, Hildy's the lit review. I just... <laughs> 
You know, um, I, I read, I'm, I'm a writer by nature, and so I think through things. Um, I, I, I like playing with puzzles. Um, I think it's interesting. I found, it was maybe about 10 years ago, there was a group that was doing a, um, a series of interviews uh, around finding your calling. Mm. And they asked me to write a piece on, on how did I find my calling. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized through thinking about that, that I think there's two types of people. Mm. I think there's the people who are born knowing what they're supposed to be. <laughs> And yeah. then there's the rest of us. <laughs> there's the rest of us, totally. And I'm in the other side as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> have to exactly. Figure out the hard way. <laughs> exactly. Well, and and you know, and and this this the ridiculous expectation that at 17 and 18 we're supposed to know what we're supposed to be, go to college for that, and become it. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I I know the, the little bit I know about your path. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was not linear. It's not, not because you said. I'm going to do this when you were 12. Um, but, but I do know people, you know, I'm, um, my, my daughter and my husband's youngest son both knew they wanted to be in the entertainment business. Wow. From um, the very beginning. From, from when, when Derek was 11, he was on stage. And Lizzie has been behind the scenes. She has always wanted to make movies. She's never wanted to. And that's where they are. They're both in Hollywood. They're both doing their thing. Um, they knew their path. Um, I'm confident now that, and, and have been for about, I'm going to say 10, maybe 15 years, that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. But before that, um, no matter what I was doing, it was filling some holes, but I still felt there were some holes that were open. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, you know, it's not, so I never decided, um, I never decided any of it. Um, we it never really matter. actually even, you know, we, we never even really decided to build the diaper bank. We were, we were doing collections of diapers in our early days of consulting back in the early nineties. Um, it was just our way of giving back to the community. And once you realize what the need is, and, you know, it was, it was just a, a little thing our business was doing. But once you start seeing what the need is, you can't not do it. So it's not as if we made a decision. It's just, I don't know, it's where life yeah. takes you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. So what would you say you struggle the most in life? Oh, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> you know, and again, it's, it is part of looking at... Um, and again, I, 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 I see life anymore through that lens of catalytic thinking mm-hmm. and realizing that um, the strength in all of us comes from, you know, we've all got our stuff, uh, you know, we've all got stuff in our childhood, we've all got stuff in our backgrounds, we've all got, got stuff and I could name, name the, the, the list of things if you want, <laughs> but, but the, the, the important thing is, is what we do with that mm-hmm. um, because, um, and, and it can be a, we can call it a struggle or we can call it learning. We can call it, um, you know, sort of looking inside and going, whoa, that's in there. Okay. That's, and that's not always fun. Sometimes it's painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it teaches us, I think, is what are the strengths we have to build on? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that when I'm looking back at something that might be painful, I'm looking at it through the lens of, okay, what are my values? What, am, what is really going on here? Um, otherwise, I'm just going to trigger in my brain, oh, oh, that hurts and it feels bad and I'm feeling and I'm reacting. Um, but if I can look at it through the lens of, okay, what do I have to learn about me in looking back at this? Um, and, and so, you know, I, I want to start with sort of that, that answer that, um, the more we can look back on drawing through the lens of what's powerful about us, especially when we're feeling weak, um, especially when we're feeling like we're not powerful, the mere fact that we've survived to this moment means we're powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is it that led us to here? It's not an accident. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not an accident. There's something inside us that, that we have to build on. Um, you know, I, the struggles we, we, you know, like I said, we've all had them. I, you know, I had a, and the more I can look back through that lens, I see it differently. So when I was 25 and rebelling against the fact that my mother, um, had all classic signs of narcissism, the entire world Involved. I, I remember. I remember when my my little girl was three, and you have one of those mom moments where you're tearing your hair out, and we're in the car, and and I said, "You think the world revolves around you? Well, the world doesn't revolve around you because it revolves around grandma." And so <laughs> that was how I was raised: is that everything in the world revolved around my mom. Um, I could either resent that struggle with that through my own, oh, what does that mean for me? What does that mean? You know, did it mean that I chose the wrong man to marry? Of course I did. Um, you know, I, I'm, you're not going to choose well when you've been deprived of love your whole life. You're not going to choose well. Um, but if I can look back through the lens of compassion, if I can look back through the lens of love and the lens of um, my mom was doing the best she could with what she had. Yeah because all of us are, if we could do better, we would. Mm. And looking back through her lens of the immensely dysfunctional childhood she had, I could weep. I, I see my mom as, as a person, she's been gone now for, for a while, mm. but I see her now as a person who had to struggle with so much pain. And the fact that she survived, the fact that she, that she grew, and, and again, it's the lens that, that you look back, you can look back um, in anger and rebellion, and that is certainly one of our defenses. So yes, do that, um, and then learn what the tools are that bring you to your strength. Mm, yeah, no, that's uh, that's totally uh, a good insight because, as you say, you know, you can look back at all your struggle, but again, you know, looking at th- that, as you say, you know, they did the best they could, you know, with what they had. So. And, um, and I know that, you know, a lot of people struggle to actually get the tools to deal with those things. But, you know, for yourself, how did you get the strength or the knowledge or the, I know that perhaps mentorship wasn't, uh, you know, the right way, but where do you get the strength to go through life? Uh, I know that you mentioned books earlier. Was it in the book that you have to go to find the strength to grow, to navigate life? Or how did you find those? Uh... Your strengths are never going to be found in a book. Mm. Um, your, your strengths are in here, mm. in, your, in your heart, in your head, in your gut, um, with the gifts you were born with. And, uh, you know, the gifts we're born with are handed down from generation to generation to generation. And 
how the environment feeds on that. Um, I have, I was born with um, an ability to see clearly. Mm-hmm. I was born with an ability to, um, to sort of see the emperor's clothes, to cut through the, the, the BS um, and to separate out, um, to, to sort of use a phrase, to separate out reality from the story we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I always knew that while, you know, we can't help but carry some of the stuff that we do, my own, you know, impressions of myself born of spending 20 years with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, always, it was never, she's right and I'm wrong. It was always, she's really wrong. <laughs> the things she's saying are really wrong. When I left my, my, uh, my first husband, um, which was a, an emotionally very abusive marriage, um, again, I knew at every moment he was wrong. I never doubted that I was wrong. Did I, did I stay too long because I had a, a, a little girl and said she needs her dad? Yeah, you know, did I, all those things we go through. Um, but, I, but that was a strength that I could always draw on, that, that I could see. I knew it wasn't right. And, and, you know, we're all born with strengths. Um, it could be how we see. It could be, what, you know, how we process. It could be um, what we fall back on when life sucks. Um, whatever it is, we've, we've all, got, all got strengths. Um, and a, a dear friend of mine, Suze Casey, who I think you'd love to have on your podcast, by the way. I will oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yes, you'll give me I, her detail later. <laughs> yeah. She is. She developed a system that she calls belief repatterning. Aha, I love that. And, and one of the she's got got six different um, statements, questions that that are helpful um, when you're struggling with trying to figure it out. When yeah. your brain is a big cloudy mess of stuff is wrong and I don't know even where to start. Um, <laughs> I, I love Susan's work for that. And. Um, a big piece of, of where she starts is um, self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in my case, let's say that the statement might be, um, I forgive myself for believing that I am less than whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something I learned mm-hmm. to cope with my mom. Of it served me then, it no longer serves me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that ability to move and to acknowledge, um, because so much of what we go through when we're struggling is self-blame. Mm-hmm. And so that ability, I love that statement because when we're blaming ourselves, it says, yeah, I did what I did because I had to. I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have to for, yeah. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And here's why. And, it, and that served me at that time. But, but my, my, my future doesn't have to be my past. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, it doesn't serve me now. Mm. And I think that's just a, a really, I love that statement. That is brilliant. Belief repattern. That's great. Yes. We, we uh, definitely need to, uh, <laughs> yes. Definitely, uh, definitely get Sue's on the horn. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So uh, tell me, so when you look back then at your childhood, how would you say it has prepared you to be who you are today? Through all the struggle, the good, the bad. You know, I, 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 and, and I don't see my childhood as, as, as a struggle. I just mm-hmm. see, again, it is, um, we all are a combination of our past and our present. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Um, I am deeply grateful. I live in a place of gratitude. Um, and I'm deeply grateful for my past. Um, because I don't think I could be as compassionate mm. if I didn't feel pain. Yeah. Um, and it's not as if my childhood sucked. I wasn't beaten. I wasn't deprived. I wasn't, uh, my dad was a beautiful, beautiful soul. Mm. Um, my mom had stuff. And that's why I say we all got stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of our stuff is really serious stuff. It's really, yeah. really bad. I, I never really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we all though tend to think our stuff was really bad. Um, which is is so interesting you know you can you can see the most stable human in the world with everything you think they've got everything and they can go back and when you of course definitely behind the brilliant uh, smile if you really look into that (laughs) yes we all know that (laughs) but, but i think that there's a um I think the important thing that gets any of us through anything that's bad is is the opportunity to learn um, and, and if we're learning well, we're learning about ourselves. Mm. Um, we're, we're asking the questions about ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, what did I do there that worked? What did I do there that allowed me to survive? Mm. Um, oh, is that a good thing? Do I still want to be doing that? Mm. You know, those kinds of questions. But I think that's really what, um, mm-hmm. what so much of a, a big piece of it is. Yeah. Sometimes I wish there is a manual that is written somewhere, how to go through life. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that we can get from the beginning when we are born. So. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah, I, I, I would like it if that was right next to how to be a mother and how, how to, to be a wife. Ah, yes, I, a three book, a trio, a trilogy. I could, I could choose those. <laughs> Yeah, we can have them all. So then, you know, figure out how to swim and, you know, navigate. I like it. I like it a lot. Effortlessly. Yes, tell me, you know, when you actually think, you know, in your whole um, life, you know, can you think of one moment that you really, really thought that it was a tough moment in your life, but actually became a blessing in disguise? Can you think of a particular moment that something happened to you like that? There's, there's so many moments. <laughs> we all have so many moments. We can, we can pin one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the defining moment um, that I didn't expect, it wasn't necessarily getting past a struggle, but it was um, a huge surprise, was when my daughter was born. Mm. Um, and Lizzie is 33. So it was a while ago. Mm -hmm. I had never wanted kids. Um, I fell in love with a niece and said, Oh, she's, this might be fun. Um, and when I met my, my husband, um, decided that, yeah, we wanted to have kids and that was a change for me. So I wasn't one of these people that was born to have babies, but I knew that I wanted to have a child. Mm -hmm. I did not know that being a mom would change me at a cellular level, that it would reframe everything. Um, And I would give up absolutely everything I've ever done in my life and continue to do to be Liz's mom. Mm. Um, I I was a single mom from the time she was six. Um, I frequently say that we raised each other. But, but that was a really defining, defining thing for me that I didn't anticipate. 
And, but, but I, again, looking back, it, it changed everything. It, it changed what I saw my job as. Um, and, and because I tend to overthink everything and study everything, it, it, it led me to my own realizations about what it really means to be a mom. I've always been a gardener. I liken being a mom with being a gardener. Um, you're, you're investing in something else mm. and you want it to, to grow and be beautiful and you can't force it to be mm, beautiful. Of course. You can, <laughs> you, no matter how much you water your tree, it's not going to grow faster. <laughs> you can't make it flower if it ain't going to flower. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we can create the conditions for that. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and that's what we do as a gardener. And that's what we do as a parent is create the conditions for our kids to thrive at whatever they seek to thrive at. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was a, a big defining moment mm. that um, led me to other moments. Mm. It led me to other decisions. It, yeah. it led to, to reframing, um, you know, staying in a marriage. It led to um, seeing, just seeing the world differently. Hmm. something that you would not have done if she wasn't there, right? Hmm. Okay. What would you say is your superpower? <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, <laughs> I, I, do think, I do think the ability to see clearly. Um, mm -hmm. and, and as a writer, to put that into words. Mm. People have frequently said that, that uh, my writing clarifies a lot of what they were thinking, and it was muddy, and they couldn't get out. Um, I'm that, that I think is a superpower. I think, I think also the, the mom and the gardener thing is, is a big, um, is a big superpower. The, the ability again, to see through the lens of what will bring out the best in that person, what will bring out the best in that plant, um, is, is, um, is a pretty neat way to go through life. Um, meeting yeah. folks and not immediately thinking, Oh, what am I going to say? But what, what will, what will make them feel great? Yeah, 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 I get it. Yes, that's good. Yeah. So now let's talk about money. How do we manage to do both getting money and meaning at the same time? I always ask this question because sometimes people struggle to, um, you know, get more money or get paid well or decently when they are doing some type of works where they have quite a lot of meaning, like some kind of charitable work and things like that. And other people also, perhaps, you know, some very highly paid people are paid quite a lot of money, but don't have meaning. How can we do both? How, what's your perspective on how we can merge meaning and money? How can we do something that is meaningful, but at the same time, you know, getting paid decently? Unfortunately, <laughs> um, there's, a, there's an unfortunately and a fortunately. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, the current systems within which we operate do not value the work that gives most of us meaning. Mm -hmm. um, unless you are, I was going to say, unless you are, you know, decided that you want to be um, a doctor and are going to be the doctor that makes a fortune, most doctors just sort of manage to cobble something together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I look again at my kids who mm -hmm. knew exactly where they wanted to be, but one is waiting tables trying to be an actor. It, it, so in terms of, of the systems that we currently operate in, don't value, um, you know, art and passion and love and certainly don't value humanity and each other. Mm. Um, and the work that we do to create change in the world um, 
is devalued next to really the only thing that we do care about and look at every single day, which is the stock market. Um, and so the systems that we find ourselves in make it very, very difficult to do both. Um, so that's the unfortunately. The fortunately in the work that I am blessed to be able to do every day, which is systems change, is looking at that as one of the systems of, okay, what does it take? Understanding that we humans can accomplish anything we set our minds to. And that the reason our culture values, it's not as if the value of money is embedded in some rock someplace and we must pray to it. it, it we created that. Yeah. Um, so what does it take to create a different set of values mm -hmm. um, that we would pay teachers mm -hmm. and, and humanitarian aid workers mm -hmm. and artists who bring joy and love and health to the planet? We would pay them a lot more than we would pay a stockbroker. Mm -hmm. um, so, so really starting to look at, um, for my work, it is within the social change arena. It is looking at um, foundations and governments that provide dollars to those organizations. Um, what would it take to change those systems? Mm. What would it take to, to look differently? And, you know, that would be a whole nother show that you and I could do, Francine. But it really is um, the, the impetus behind a lot of the work that we're doing at Creating the Future. One of the things that we decided early on was that we would not go looking for money the way normal organizations do. Mm. Because we did not want to, it's living, it's walking the talk of your values. Mm -hmm. um, we did not want to buy into a system that we deeply believe is harmful to creating the world we want. Mm. It's not that we don't believe in it, it's that we actually see it as harmful. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the quick answer is, um, and, and again, the only other thing that I can suggest is viewing the world through that lens of collective enoughness in our personal lives. Um, understanding that together we do have everything we need. Um, very, very quick story. Um, my next door neighbor moved in, I'm going to say maybe 15 years or so ago. Um, and we always had, because we had an office, we downsized the office. I've always had a bunch of folding tables around here. And one day after several years, um, and she came knocking on the door. She said, by any chance, do you have a folding table? I've got company coming over. And I said, oh my gosh, yeah. I said, you know, we've got one that we barely ever use. Let me just leave it. In. And she's got a huge family and they're always celebrating something. And, and I said, let me just leave it in the carport. Whenever you need it, come get it. Um, the stuff we share at this point is is absolutely everything um kathy's husband is a uh heating and cooling guy and a handyman and he's always like you know you need stuff just go in the shed and go get it um i can't start to say the stuff that we that we share with each other do we need to own a chainsaw no yeah. You know, does, does Kathy need to own a huge, you know, folding table? No. So, so again, a big part of it, um, the, the, the money thing mm -hmm. is asking that question, what do we really need? Mm -hmm. what, what, what would we have if money, if we didn't need money mm -hmm. to buy it, what do we really need? Um, and who else has that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Do my neighbors have it? Is it something we can share? Do, is there a, you know, and then you start building different systems. You build, as we sometimes hear, neighborhood tool banks, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of, so you build different systems that, that allow us to connect with each other, which replaces money, which is just a placeholder, with actually something that creates meaning and creates connection. Yeah, 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 that's true. So I hope that this is where this sharing economy also, um, the concept of sharing economy is actually leading, actually, where you don't need to own a car, you can just, you know, pull that with other people, and you don't need to own any house, you share, you know, co-living space and all those kind of uh, sharing economy that is going on at the moment. So I think that, yes, perhaps this new set of value, uh, you know, getting into, um, um, you know, our realm now, and the reality. So now the last part is about movement, your favorite uh, expertise. So um, talk to me about your take on how to build a movement. How can we build a movement? Um, The first step is to see that we're already part of one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we all think we're building a movement. Mm. Um, And I'm going to build a movement to do X and I'm going to build a movement to do Y. Paul Hawken wrote a, um, a beautiful book, it's got to be 20, 25 years ago, called uh, Blessed Unrest. Mm-hmm. And it was about the various movements that are all coming alive on the planet for a healthy, humane place to live. And when we stop seeing it as the climate change movement, which is different than the stop pollution movement, which, well, it's maybe part of, but maybe it's not, maybe it's different from the health movement, but you can't have health if you don't have, and when we stop seeing it as, as that, and we start seeing it as one interconnected whole, mm-hmm. um, there's one movement. And, and so that's, that's the first thing, is, is see where your vision for the world fits in with folks that are already pushing for that so, so hard, because I guarantee somebody is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big piece of it is to organize the way social movements organize and not the way we have constructed um, uh, traditional nonprofit organizations and even social enterprises are are constructed the same way. Um, One of the experiments that we've been doing at Creating the Future that again has been so fun and you know my definition of fun I'm geeky as can be so um, you know putting it putting it in that perspective but uh, about four years ago, our board started to look at, and, and I say board, it really is our board and our community. Uh, because from the very, very beginning back in 2012, I think, um, our board decided that we would open up all of our meetings, again, an experiment, open up, we're, we're a global organization, so we meet online like this. Mm-hmm. We'd open up all of our meetings to anybody who wanted to participate. Um, initially we didn't have zoom, so we had Google Hangouts, Mm -hmm. which was very limited in how many people could be in the room. Um, and, and you couldn't, for instance, see a split screen like this or see everybody. It was one big face and a lot of little people, but, but that's okay. Um, and, and the the good old days, Um, good old days of five years ago. Imagine that. I know old days is only five years ago or something. Unbelievable. (laughs) Right. Um, But anybody who wants to join our meetings can. And it's our board meetings. It's our strategy meetings. Again, the experiment being, do we have to work behind closed doors? Um, What happens if we open up our doors and and invite people to be part of it? And what we found is 
if you open the doors, people walk in. Yeah. <laughs> it's remarkable. <laughs> um, and, and so um, the, the look that, that we started, the, the question we started to play with about four years ago, and, and really in depth about three years ago, was if there were no such thing as organizations the way they currently exist, what would we build to serve as vehicles for accomplishing social missions? And it took us three years, just this past May at our last meeting, we uh, said, oh my gosh, we're ready. We're ready to, to flip the switch. Um, but it really meant looking not just at what a board of directors does, but how an organization is structured and how it's shaped. So we build these hierarchical organizations. Mm -hmm. There is uh, frequently a board of directors. If not, there's a CEO. There's, you know, I'm, um, and uh, even no matter how big an organization is and no matter how much they think that they're distributing their decision making, you can only accomplish so much if you're a linear organization. And so starting to ask the question, you know, we, we've built um, all of these organizations. I don't know why. I mean, we, we emulated the business world that worked like that. I don't know why the business world formed like that. Um, but what I do know is that it's not particularly effective if you want to take a global mission and really embed it into everybody's being and heart and soul. Mm. And so a, a big piece of... Um, of the social movement question that you asked is, is um, question the systems you're operating in. And, and look, is this, we're doing this because that's the way organizations run? Or are we doing this because it is the most effective way that we can create change? And if it's not, what would be? Um, and so those, are, those are, are just some of those, those core, and again, a lot of the stuff that, that you and I were talking about earlier about those three questions that movements um, a follow that, that we mostly don't in organizations. Mm, yeah, so actually, what actually um, movements you are part of, if you, you know, or if, you know, uh, if you're not leading a movement, which one are you part of? Which movement are you actually part of uh, at the moment? Um, the movement to create a more healthy, humane world. More and there's a million, a million different places it's happening. Um, there's the people, there's, there's the way that, um, the, the contribution that creating the future is making to that movement, just like there's the contribution that the climate change folks are making to that. But if we, um, if we manage to reverse climate change, we're still going to have inequity. We're mm -hmm. still going to have war. We're still going to have illness. Mm -hmm. So if we don't look at all of those pieces as part of a larger whole, um, we're fooling ourselves that we can fix A mm -hmm. without also fixing B and fixing C. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it comes down to, are we trying to fix all these little things or what, what do we really want? That question again, what do we really, really want? We really want to live in a world that is healthy, humane, kind, um, and nurturing of our individuality and our ability to be together. 
um, you know, that wonderful phrase, a a world that works for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that, yes. It's uh, it's going to take a new whole new paradigm because the way the world has been functioning so far is this kind of industrial age where things are siloed. You know, this is how organizations are being built, where one part is there and then another, nothing is connected. When now we see that anything is connected to if you pull uh, the string of this one something else is not going to work here so we need to have this kind of integrated view which is um you know where uh the the whole world hopefully is going to because if we don't have this holistic view it's going to be very difficult to solve any kind of problem as you say you know if we solve the climate change we're still going to have inequality of things here or you know, the other problem and war and everything else, which is not solved. So. <laughs> I, I, can give you a, I can give you an example that, that just came up recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was keynoting a, um, a conference, which is a lot of what I do these days. Um, I was keynoting a conference in Milan. It was a, a, an international gathering um, of folks dealing with issues related to skin diseases. Mm-hmm. And as I was sitting through the conference and listening to the speakers, listening to the doctors, listening to to the pharmaceutical companies that are dealing with these issues and people trying to come together around things, um, one of the things that many of the speakers talked about was the um, environmental influences on skin disease. And how pollution affects skin disease, how climate affects skin disease. And my keynote was the closing keynote. And whenever I do a closing keynote, I always listen to the whole conference because, uh, you know, and so when I got to the part about um, that second question of what do we have together and how do we accomplish things together? Um, I, I talked about, you know, how do we find each other? Um, and I shared an exercise that, that we can do to, to find who else cares about what we care about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned the fact that environmental factors are a big issue when it comes to skin disease. I said, so do you think some of the people who might care about what you care about are folks in environmental organizations? And the CEO's head just about exploded and she went, because yes, again, it's, about that. Exactly. it's all it's all one issue. It is not this is over here and health is over here, and then we break, as you said, we break everything into silos. So it's not just health. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, if if you if I have a problem with my teeth, it's going to affect everything in my body. Yeah. And yet you go to a different school to learn oh, how yeah. to, as yeah. if your teeth aren't connected to your body. Exactly. So so you know we've siloed it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yes, really understanding. So so that big piece of social movements is the questions that we ask, and really getting clear that um, all these social movements really want the same thing. We want to live in a world that is joyful and peaceful and healthy, uh, where our kids can grow up happy and safe and and yeah. We all want the same yeah. thing. Yeah, that's good. So how do you want to be remembered for? I don't have time to even think about that. <laughs> I'm hoping that by the time I die, I've done 17 <laughs> other things that somebody might remember me for. <laughs> and and you know, I, I joke, but, but the reality is um, I am... Um, 
I am deeply aware through my faith that um, I'm here for a blip of a moment mm-hmm. and that I'm part of a continuum and that, you know, I mentioned earlier that, that we're a product of what came before us. Mm-hmm. Um, I am because other people were and they are because I am and we never know the lives that we touch and, uh, the, and the ripples that we create. And so, you know, it's, it's not really a matter of being remembered because 200 years from now, you know, you and I are not going to be here. Um, and, and, and frequently the ones they remember are either Leonardo da Vinci or Adolf Hitler. And I'm not going to be either of them. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, now quick, quick question and quick answer. What did you learn from all your experiences that you most want to transmit to others? Um... We are way more powerful than we think we are. Yeah, we are way more powerful than we think we are. And, and again, you know, we talk a lot of creating the future about what we call leading from the middle, that we all think that, well, I can't change the system I'm in. Yes, you can. And you can do it by changing one question you ask. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can all create change. Uh, one, one of our fellows at Creating the Future, Nancy, lives in a rural community, and she sat on a school board. And school boards, notoriously, you would love it if what they were talking about was how our students can thrive and what we can do to make it. They argue about money. Um, And she sat back at one point and listened for about 20 minutes while they were arguing about And it was all about money. and And she very quietly piped up and said, what does any of what we're talking about do to further our vision that every child in our community would thrive. And she said the entire conversation changed. Mm. So, so she's just one person in, in a system that says school boards are all about arguing about money. Mm. And yet just by changing one question, um, we can change how we do our staff meetings. It could be something as small as, do we get to know each other as people? Mm. Or do we get to know each other by position and assignment mm. in our staff meetings? Do, do we know... Um, the person who who sits next to us at that round table in our staff meeting all the time, do we know them as a person? Do we take the time? Um, and again, those are small things that we can just, just do. We can give ourselves time to think together. At, at one of the things you will see if you watch Creating the Futures meetings, mm-hmm. we start every meeting, no matter what kind of meeting, board meetings, uh, strategy meetings, um, by taking a quick round of what's been exciting and fun in your life since we last saw you. People get to know each other as people. Um, and we take, the last, we take the last 10 minutes in reflection and we ask, what stood out to you from the meeting? What are you taking out of the meeting? And just those simple things. I mean, one of the things that the reflection question does is it takes all the griping that happens after the meeting, all the, the, uh, the conversations of, I think we should have talked about this and why does she always have to, and we talk about it during the meeting. Um, you know, what were your expectations for the meeting met? Well, no, I actually felt we were going, oh, well, maybe we could talk about that. And so, again, we can change little things. But I think if I had one big message, it's that we are far more powerful and have the power to, to create much more change um, than we think we can. And we can bring out the best in each other. We can choose to bring out the best in each other, or we can tr- choose to feed into habits, and they're just habits, yeah, um, yeah. that bring out the worst in each other. Yeah, yeah. So, um, actually, did you um, 
do you still have your meetings open <laughs> to everybody to attend? I might attend one of your meetings, actually. I'll be interested. I hope so. Let's <laughs> see what you're up to. Uh, I, I hope great. so. I hope so. Yeah, I, we are planning a series of meetings in... Um, we're starting on a communication strategy for a, a huge project that we're embarking upon. Um, and those will happen in September. We'll be announcing those in August. Mm -hmm. And if people sign up for our e-journal at creatingthefuture.org, they will find the announcements come through the e-journal. Okay, uh, I'll add that in the show notes anyway, so then people can have right. a look. So what one object would you take with you on a desert island? <laughs> oh, Only one object. Only one. It, um, so so I'm, I'm a reader and a writer, so it's between a, a pad and an, an endless supply. It would have to be like a genie in a bottle, a pad that never runs out and a pen that never runs out. Um, or um, a, a Kindle that gets me library books all the time. Okay, but if you get only a Kindle, you won't be able to write, would you? I, I would, would not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. If I, 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 I would have to decide. You yeah, know, you have to decide which one. I don't know. <laughs> if, if, if all I had was a Kindle, you'd probably find me with a stick in the sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To write everything. Uh, okay, so is there one thing that you regret having or not having done earlier in your life? No, no, no regrets. Yes, everything no, was a learning, it, right? As no, you said earlier. It's a learning and it's, mm. it's a... Um, I am much stronger because of every single thing I did. Mm. Whether it um, was um, painful or joyful, my my daily meditation um, includes the words: "I am vowing today to be grateful for what will be joyful, and I am vowing today to be grateful for what will be painful." Mm. Because I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for everything in my life. There's I I don't regret anything. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So what is your definition on meaning, of meaningful work and meaningful life? Um, years ago, mm. I read, it, it could be 20 years ago, I've had it on, on many, many different websites. We have it up in the room when we're teaching. Um, it was uh, the answer, that, so the, the theologian Houston Smith um, a fascinating man. If, if you have the ability to read any of his work, mm. um, he was raised uh, by Christian missionaries in China. Mm. Um, a very long, lean white guy, <laughs> um, and fascinated by by Christianity at that time, and started to be fascinated by the Buddhism that he was seeing in the, in the mm -hmm. community around him. When they moved back to the States and he started to go to college, he started to learn about other, other faiths and started to just be fascinated by them. He's, he's got a, an amazingly inquisitive mind. And what he did was he studied faiths by practicing them. Mm -hmm. So he didn't just do the book learning. He mm -hmm. studied faiths. And so he spent 10 years studying Islam by being, uh, becoming a practicing uh, Muslim. Wow. He spent 10 years studying Buddhism Gosh. By, by practicing Zen Buddhism. Mm. Um, and so, uh, uh, like I said, his stuff is brilliant to read. What's his and name again? Can you his name, name is Houston Smith, and he spells it H-U-S-T-O-N. Okay, I'll also yeah. that result. Beautiful, beautiful, wow. beautiful works. Mm. And, and in his autobiography, he writes that he asked his Zen teacher 
What is the meaning of Zen? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what his teacher said. So when you, you asked about um, yes, yeah. the guidance and the watchword and what, what creates a, a meaningful life. Yeah. And meaningful life. Mm-hmm. Um, his teacher said it is infinite gratitude for all things past, infinite service to all things present, and infinite responsibility for all things future. Mm. And um, I have just found that the most meaningful guidepost um, through, throughout life since I've read it. Wow. Um, so it's, it's a big, what, what it makes you realize is there is no me, there's just all of us. Mm. Um, and, and my life has best meaning if I can find gratitude, if I can be of service with compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if I can understand that everything I do is creating the future and I'm responsible for that. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's the name of your company also, Creating the Future, of course. Any last piece of guidance for anyone who actually, um, you know, will you like to pass to our listeners to live a more meaningful life? Um, I think those three, be grateful, um, be compassionate, um, deeply acknowledge the responsibility that we have because we can do nothing about this present moment. It was created by the past. Mm-hmm. Only thing that we can do is influence the future. And we do that through how we feel and how we think and the questions that we're asking, mm-hmm. um, the gratitude that we feel and the, the compassion that, that we practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there some resources other than what you've um, cited earlier that you'd like to share with our listeners? To oh, pretty much. Life? Yeah, pretty much everything we've got is at creatingthefuture.org and okay. um, we are growing that. So, so get on to the, the e-journal list because mm-hmm. we are growing by the end of the year, we will have a full social change bookstore. Mm. Um, so yeah, tons and tons of stuff there. Tons of stuff. <laughs> and lots of, it, lots of it is them. free. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely link uh, the, uh, the link and then people can go and have to check. So what if people want to get in touch with you? What's the best way of getting in touch with you? Right through the website. Right to the website as well. So that's great. So thank you so much, Hildy, for your oh, time. Thank you. This has been delightful. It was a great pleasure to really have you and share all this wisdom, actually, with our listeners. And really thank you again. Thank you. What was your key takeaway from this episode? What are you committed to do today to find more meaning in your work and live a more meaningful life? If you are ready to build a meaningful personal brand to create a business or a career you love, I'd love to hear from you. Book a strategic call at www.francinebelli.com slash call that F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash call. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage francinebelli.com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared on the show. Once you are there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but 
it will mean a lot to me and help me spread this message to many, many more people. Thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I will see you next week for another thought-provoking episode of this season three. Until then, dream, act, and make an impact. Lots of love.